Ashley Marie Pond was born on March 1, 1989, to her parents, Lori and David. Lori was just 16 years old. According to Ashley's mother, Ashley was a good kid and loved to be hugged. She was kind and helped others whenever she had the chance. Ashley also loved her little sisters. She enjoyed assisting her mother and taking care of them daily. By all accounts, Ashley was a sweet child. Although Ashley was kind, caring, and loving, her home life was anything but. In 1998, when Ashley was just nine years old, her parents, Lori and David, divorced. The divorce was hard on the family, especially for little Ashley. During the process of their divorce, it was learned that David was not Ashley's biological father. In addition to learning this devastating information, Ashley was introduced to her biological father, Wesley Rotger Jr. Shortly after meeting Wesley, Ashley began visiting Wesley on a regular basis. By the year 2000, just two years after her mother, Lori's and David's divorce, Ashley was living in the Newell Creek Apartments in Oregon City, Oregon, with her mother, Lori, her mother's boyfriend, and Ashley's two little sisters. Ashley's home life was proving to be difficult, and she and her mother were at odds, constantly fighting and arguing. A neighbor in the complex called the police to report a young girl crying outside in the rain all alone. When the police arrived, they found Ashley alone outside and in the rain, just as the neighbor described. Police determined that Lori had locked her daughter, Ashley, out of the house as a form of punishment. Unfortunately, many other neighbors would go on to make the same reports about the family's home regarding their domestic disturbance, fights, and noise complaints. Despite Ashley's home life, she was able to find peace and happiness by joining her school's dance team at Gardner Middle School and being able to be on the swim team. According to many, you could find Ashley in the pool or at dance practice. In addition to finding peace in her extracurricular activities, Ashley found comfort in her friendships as well. Her two closest friends were Mallory Weaver and Miranda Gaddis. Mallory lived in the house across the street from the apartments, and Miranda lived in the same apartment complex as Ashley. They were all on the same dance team and went to the same school. They were great friends and rode the bus together in the morning and afternoon to and from Gardner Middle School. On Christmas Eve in the year 2000, Ashley was visiting her biological father, Wesley. During this visit, Wesley demanded sex from Ashley. Ashley went home, told her mother about the encounter, and that ever since she had been introduced to Wesley two years prior, he had been sexually abusing her. Lori went to the police on January 5th, 2001. Wesley Roker Jr. was indicted on 39 counts of felony rape and sodomy against a child. Ashley was just 11 years old. After Wesley's indictments, Ashley was spending more time at Mallory's house, her friend that lived across the street from the apartment complex. Mallory lived in the house with her father, Ward Weaver III, and his girlfriend, Jerry, and her daughter. It was said that Ashley practically lived at the Weaver residence, staying there every weekend and even on school nights. Mallory and her father, Ward, were aware of the abuse that Ashley suffered 
at the hands of her biological father, and Ward actually drove Ashley to and from her medical exams and to and from her attorney's office. With the growing closeness between Ashley and Mallory's father, Ward, who was 38 years old, many family members and friends became increasingly concerned. In May of 2001, just four months after Ashley reported her abuse, Donna, a teacher at Ashley's school, noticed something disturbing and inappropriate. As Donna looked out her window as the students were being dropped off for that morning, she saw Ashley pull up to the school in a truck with an older man. Prior to getting out of the truck to enter the school, Ashley climbed from the passenger seat onto the lap of the man in the driver's seat and provocatively kissed him. As Ashley exited the vehicle, Donna noticed who the man was. It was Mallory's father, Ward Weaver III. When Ashley entered Donna's class, she confronted Ashley about what she had just witnessed. Ashley told her that he was like a father and that nothing was going on between them. Donna still worried about what she had witnessed and went to the principal to report it. After she reported the incident, it was told to Donna that there was no reason to justify intervention because no threshold had been breached. Donna, upset at this statement, called Child Protective Services and reported the matter. However, no one from Child Protective Services called Donna back to discuss the accusations any further. Donna, still being concerned for Ashley, kept an eye out for her and watched for any other inappropriate behavior. Ashley continued to stay at the Weaver residence throughout the rest of her sixth grade year, along with many other girls from the school, including her friend Miranda, who lived in the same apartment complex. The girls would sleep over at the Weaver house and were supervised by Ward himself. He would buy the girls pizza, sodas, candy, and it was stated that he even bought the kids alcohol for them to drink. The summer of 2001 in August, Ashley went on a trip with Mallory and her father, Ward, to California. Upon Ashley's return to Oregon, she contacted her teacher, Donna. Donna, still being concerned for Ashley's safety, decided to take Ashley out to buy school clothes in that September, right before the start of seventh grade. While they were shopping, Ashley told Donna that Mallory's father, Ward, had attempted to rape her while on the trip in California. Donna, once again, fearing for Ashley's safety, immediately called Child Protective Services and explained what happened to Ashley, and the individual at the Child Protective Services ensured that someone would call them back to follow up with the matter and that the information would be sent over to Ashley's caseworker. Shortly after this, Ward found out about Ashley's allegations against him and decided to take revenge on a 12-year-old little girl. Ward was aware that Ashley was going through a case of sexual abuse against her biological father, Wesley, and threatened Ashley that if she went to the police with her allegations against him, he would destroy her case. Before Ashley even had time to think about the threat, Ward had already done what he had threatened to do. He called Ashley's attorney and stated that Ashley was making more false allegations against another man and that she could not be trusted. When Ashley's attorneys found out about this information, they felt that they could no longer trust her statements or her testimony regarding the case against their father. 
Therefore, Wesley was able to take a plea deal. Wesley Rotger Jr. pled no contest to all 39 counts of rape and sodomy against a child and received a 10-year probation sentence. Not only did Ward destroy her case against her father, he also went as far as to use his daughter as a proxy between the kids at school to tell them that Ashley was a liar. Many students found out about the allegations that Ashley had made against Ward, and they ostracized her for it. Even when other students went to Weaver's residence to play with Mallory, he would tell them that Ashley was a liar and could not be trusted and would badmouth Ashley to anyone that would listen. Two months after Ashley's allegations against Ward, around Thanksgiving, Ashley reconciled with Ward and started going over to his house again to hang out with Mallory. One month later in December, Ashley's mother, Lori, received a phone call from Ward's girlfriend, Jerry. She stated that she did not want Ashley to come over to the house any longer because Ashley was causing trouble in her and Ward's relationship. Jerry stated that she was sleeping on the couch while Ward and Ashley were sleeping together in the same bed. After this phone call, Ashley returned home. Two weeks later, on January 9th, 2002 at the start of the new year. According to Ashley's mother, Ashley woke up that morning, got ready for school, and left to catch her bus. After school, Ashley had dance practice, so her mother did not expect her home until later that evening. However, when 6 p.m. came and Ashley still hadn't returned home, Lori called the police to report her daughter missing. The next morning, 24 hours after Ashley had been last seen, Detective Viola Valenzuela Garcia went to Gardner Middle School to interview friends of Ashley and her teachers. She interviewed Miranda, Ashley's friend that lived in the same complex as her, as well as Mallory Weaver, who lived in the house across the street. While she spoke to Ashley's friends, the detective realized that Ashley had an extremely strained and broken relationship with her mother and it was possible that Ashley could have just ran away. Mallory told the detective that there could be a place that she is hiding that is around the apartment complex. Detective Valenzuela Garcia asked if Mallory would show her the places and she agreed. However, to do this, the detective needed to get permission from Mallory's father. Detective Valenzuela Garcia reached Ward while he was at work. Ward stated that he had heard about Ashley's disappearance the night before and that she had also had a tendency to make false allegations against men and needed to seek professional help. A week had passed with no signs of Ashley and her disappearance was all over the local news. There were many search parties organized to aid in the efforts to help locate Ashley safely and alive. During one search, the Oregon City Police brought in a search dog from the Search 1 Canine Detection Unit. The dog's name was Klaus. Klaus picked up the scent of Ashley at the bottom of a hill near her apartments and took the officers up to the top of the hill where Ward Weaver's residence was. Ward saw the dog from his window and proceeded to open his front door. And as he did, he called to the dog, Here, boy. Klaus ran up to the front door and kept sniffing. Ward started to pet the dog and told the officer, 
What a neat animal. Sniff away, Klaus. The dog handler asked Ward's permission to search his property, and Ward agreed to let them search the outside, but not the inside. Unfortunately, the dog did not find anything outside on the property. On January 18, 2002, the Oregon City Police announced they were bringing in the FBI. At the same time that the police announced they were bringing the FBI, a family member contacted Linda O'Neill to help assist in locating Ashley. Linda was a peripheral family member of Ashley's. She was known as her step-grandmother. Linda was also an investigator at the time of Ashley's disappearance, and the family assumed that she could help locate, or at the very least, figure out what happened to Ashley. Linda decided to start at the beginning. According to the book, The Missing Girls, co-authored by Linda O'Neill, Philip Tennyson, and Rick Watson, Linda went to Ashley's apartment and waited at her bus stop. As she waited, she noticed a bus pulling up and dropping off kids. As two girls walked by her vehicle, Linda stopped them to see if they would talk to her about Ashley's disappearance. The two girls agreed and spoke to Linda. One of the girls stated that she was on the dance team with Ashley and they lived in the same complex. Shortly after, the two girls had to leave. As they were walking away, Linda asked for one of the girls' names. The girl that yelled back said, Miranda Gaddis. In February 2002, a month after Ashley went missing, Mallory had a birthday party at her house. Several girls were there in attendance, including Miranda, Ashley's friend. During the party, Mallory heard Miranda telling another girl that she did not trust Mallory's dad and that everyone needed to watch out for him because he was creepy. Mallory told her father about Miranda's comments and Ward became extremely upset. Just a little while later, it was time for the ice cream. Ward stated that the ice cream was in his freezer chest in his shed, but the freezer had a lock on it and he was unable to locate his keys. Therefore, he asked his ex-wife Jane to go and buy ice cream for the kids. At the same time, Jane thought that this was suspicious, as Ward never lost his keys and always kept them by his side. Things only became stranger as the night went on. Jane saw that in Ward's backyard, Ward and his son Francis had dug a large hole for a hot tub. When Jane asked him why he needed to dig such a big hole, he stated that he was putting in a cement slab for a hot tub, but needed to put barrels in the ground to help to keep foundation solid. During her conversation with Ward, she stated that digging a hole when a girl has gone missing is extremely suspicious. Ward replied, Let them come look. As she turned and walked away, she saw the two barrels sitting on the ground next to the hole. The next month, on March 1st, 2002 would have been Ashley's 13th birthday. It had been nearly two months since she was last seen. Police and FBI were looking at every possibility and even looked towards Lori, Ashley's mother, as a person of interest. They found all the domestic disputes, fights, and complaints in her police file and thought that maybe she had something to do with Ashley's disappearance. However, 
Ashley's mother proclaimed her innocence and stated that she believed Ward Weaver III had something to do with her daughter's disappearance and that they should look into him. Just a few days after what would have been Ashley's 13th birthday, a private search dog trainer by the name of Harry Oaks offered his services to Lori to help locate Ashley. Lori agreed to use Harry and his dog, Valerie, to help in the efforts to locate her daughter. By the time Harry was getting ready to search for Ashley with his dog, Valerie, another girl went missing from the Newell Creek Apartments. It was Ashley's friend, Miranda Gaddis. Miranda Gaddis was born on November 18, 1988, to her parents, Michelle and Jason. Miranda's life started out rough. Her father, Jason, was convicted of kidnapping and sexually assaulting two young girls. During his arrest, it was stated that he actually used Miranda as a shield against the police. The police were able to arrest Jason without harming Miranda. He was sentenced to six years in prison and 54 years post-release supervision. This ultimately led to both her parents divorcing one another. As if Miranda's life was not hard enough, her mother's boyfriend, Brett McInnie, sexually abused Miranda and two other minor girls. He was indicted on 22 counts of sexual abuse and was sent to prison for his crimes. After her abuse, Miranda received counseling at school and wrote a letter regarding her experience with the abuse and her counselor found it so moving that she sent it in to the Community Advocates a nonprofit that helps prevent the abuse of children. The individuals in the community advocates found her letter inspiring, so they laminated it and used it in their training. Miranda was only in fifth grade. Miranda, like Ashley, found joy in school, friends, and dance. Miranda and Ashley were on the same dance team. She was so close to Ashley that in the weeks after Ashley's disappearance, Miranda was working on a dance routine to help raise funds for the efforts in locating Ashley. Miranda loved those all around her and protected those she cared about. On March 8, 2002, Miranda said goodbye to her mom as she left for work, and Miranda was supposed to leave for school at 8 a.m. to catch her bus. Miranda never made it to her bus that day or to school. By one that afternoon, Miranda's mother learned that her daughter was not at school and she became frantic. Michelle immediately went to the police and reported her daughter missing. By that evening, two detectives went to the apartment to conduct interviews, but sadly, no leads were discovered. The officers decided to walk around to find any clues, and when doing so, they noticed one lone house across the street, the Weaver residence. The officers walked up to the Weaver residence and knocked on the door. Ward abruptly answered the door and said, I give up officers, take me away. Both officers were not amused by Ward's comments. The officers explained to Ward that another neighborhood girl went missing and they wanted to come inside and speak with him about it. Ward let the officers in to speak with him and his daughter Mallory about the disappearances. While speaking to them both, the officers asked if they could search Ward's home and property. Ward gave them permission to do so. They went room by room and nothing came up. They also went outside and were unable to see anything suspicious. 
When they reached the shed that was located in the backyard, it was too dark outside, so they called off their search and left. On March 15, 2002, just seven days after Miranda's disappearance, Harry Oakes returned to search for Ashley with a search dog, Valerie. As Valerie methodically sniffed back and forth, she led Harry up to the Weaver residence. Harry went to the front door to gain permission from the owner to see if he could search the property. When he knocked, a man came to the door. It was Francis, Ward's 19-year-old son. He told Harry that his dad was not home, but he would call him at work to ask if he could search the property. A few moments later, Francis came back to the door and told his dad that he said that he could search the property with his dog, but to stay away from the fresh cement that he had just poured for his hot tub. Harry understood and took Valerie to the backyard. Quickly into the search, Valerie led Harry to the back of the house where the concrete slab was. Valerie started pacing back and forth and could not contain her excitement. Eventually, Valerie had let out a blood-curdling howl that was known to be her death alert and tried to lunge and scratch at the cement slab. Valerie's behavior went on for nearly a minute and Harry could not calm her down. Harry immediately left with his dog and phoned the police and told them about what he had just discovered. The officer on the other line took his information and a statement, but that was all they did. When Harry realized that the police did not take his tip seriously, he sent a detailed and thorough report to the FBI, the police department, and to Ashley's mother. Weeks had gone by with no new leads or information. The task force that oversaw the search for Ashley and now Miranda received over 2,500 tips from the public. In addition to the task force, Linda had investigated a few people on her own. However, there was one man that she could not rule out. It was Ward Weaver III. Linda decided to interview Ward's ex-wives that lived in the area the first of which was Jane Patton, Ward's second ex-wife. According to the book, The Missing Girls, Jane told Linda that she believed that Ashley and Ward did in fact have a sexual relationship because Mallory told Jane that she saw Ashley sleeping in the same bed as Ward. And according to Jane, Ward took all of his girlfriend Jerry's belongings out of the bathroom so Ashley could put her belongings in there. This is what prompted Jerry to call Ashley's mother in December to inform her that Ashley was causing troubles in their relationship. Ultimately, Jerry and her daughter moved out of the Weaver residence on December 25, 2001. Jane told Linda about the locked freezer in the shed at Mallory's birthday party in February. She also told Linda about the hole that she saw that was dug by Francis and his father Ward. She confirmed that the hole had been filled after Miranda's disappearance. Jane told Linda about her violent and tumultuous past with Ward as well. 
One time, when Jane and Ward were arguing, he hit her over the head with a frying pan. Not only was Ward physically abusive towards her, but to others in his past as well. After meeting with Jane, in June 2002, Linda contacted Ward's ex-wife, Catherine Diaz, who is Mallory's biological mother. While interviewing Catherine, Linda found out that the night before Miranda's disappearance, Ward dropped Mallory off at her house, which was unusual because Mallory did not spend the night at her house on school nights. In addition to this information, she found out that Ward Weaver III had failed a polygraph test regarding the disappearances of Ashley and Miranda. Linda, so conflicted by what she found out, decided to do more reconnaissance work on Ward. A couple weeks later in June, Linda saw in the classifieds that Ward was having a garage sale at his home. Linda decided to go to the garage sale in hopes of being able to speak with Ward. At this time, Ward did not know who Linda was. When Linda arrived at the garage sale with her assistant, she pretended to be a customer and was curious about the hot tub for sale in the back. She approached Ward and asked to see the hot tub in the backyard, and he agreed. According to the book, The Missing Girls, Linda remembered the eerie feeling she had as she walked across the concrete slab. She was aware of the report that Harry Oaks, the independent dog search trainer, and his findings had found while he was at the Weaver residence. On June 23, 2002, when Linda arrived home one afternoon after speaking with Ashley's family about the information that she had found out, she pulled up to her house to see a strange man in her driveway with her son. She got out of her car and walked up and could not believe who was standing behind the hood of her son's car. It was Ward Weaver III. He pulled his head up from the hood of the car and said, quote, Just keep that cable real tight and she should be fine. Her son thanked Ward for his help and went inside. Linda was mortified at what she saw. Ward turned around to Linda and said, Howdy, ma'am. Linda asked Ward what he was doing at her house. He laughed and said, Mighty fine boy you got there. I hear you also have a daughter. Kids are so naive, aren't they? Linda told him that her family was none of his business, and Ward said that he was there to tell her the same thing. He then turned and got in his truck and left Linda's house. To be continued.